And good morning and welcome to Talking Money. Well, you can always get a question to me by going to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is where you can get uh, an email sent to me for a question. And a number of questions come in last week after the show last week talking about estate planning and joint ownership and powers of attorney and a bunch of other things like that, beneficiary designations. And so that uh, generated some some interest. We'll go over some of those questions a little later, but just a reminder, this is not a sales program, so we're not here to sell a single product. There's no hidden agenda. We don't have insurance behind us or something else that we're, we're trying to sneak in there. That's not talking money. We're here to educate and make sure that you make the right decisions for financial planning, your own personal financial planning. We want to help you. I've been doing it now for my 14th year of talking money, so glad you're joining us today. So if you want to f- hear last week's because you missed it and wondered what those questions might have been about, Go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com. The questions at Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. But if you want to just see, listen to some some former programs, we've got them recorded, archived there, a bunch of different subjects at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. You can also get us on Facebook. I'd love if you like uh, Talking Money on Facebook and follow us there. So that is another way to get an uh, uh, update on the new shows as they get recorded and get posted and so forth. You'll keep a little bit more up to date on that. Continuing a little bit from last week, do you have joint ownership on an asset? So it's a joint ownership with a right of survivorship. That means if, if one of the joint owner passes away, the surviving joint owner is the automatic owner of that. So that's quite frequent, frequently happened between spouses. It's pretty automatic. You go to the bank, you go to a brokerage account, and you open it up, joint ownership with right of survivorship. So it's an automatic uh, ownership transfer. But once the second spouse passes away, unless you have named a new joint owner before that happens, then it's going to go to the surviving joint owner's estate. So it's not you don't avoid probate by just making joint ownership unless you you – live forever and that's not going to happen so you want to make sure that you have some recourse some backup plan have it go to your your will or a a living trust something else some of the kind of document to make sure that the assets go exactly where you want them to go as i mentioned last week everyone has a will you may have written one had one written by an attorney you may have done one on your own if you haven't done that you still have a will whether you like it or not the South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, all the areas that, that typically can hear my voice live, and of course, podcast anywhere, but any state you're in, they have their own laws of intestacy. Their laws that say if you don't have a will, if you did not tell us where you want your assets to go, then we have a certain um, protocol we have to follow and steps we take to this is who is going to get that those funds if you don't tell us who. So for those of you who, who enjoy having the state tell you where your assets should go, then leave it just like that. Most people don't, so I encourage you to get a will. If you don't have one, you need to get one yesterday. It's not one that you can wait on. It's something that I've seen a number of times over the years of my many years of practicing and financial planning that one of the things that gives people the initiative all of a sudden, the incentive to go get their will done is they're about to go to the hospital for some kind of a surgery. They're about to take a trip overseas or a long-term trip for you know a month or two weeks or a fairly longer time usually, and they don't have a will done. So they're franicking, saying, oh, I need this will done so in case something happens to me while I'm on this trip or during this surgery, I'll be protected. 
And I've even known, and many of you have probably heard of those who have had their will done actually in the hospital. Something happened to them already, and they're getting the attorney in there, drafting the documents. And the last time I knew of this, the staff at the hospital was not allowed to be a witness on your document. So you had to bring in somebody from the outside to witness those documents. They're not going to let them do that. And as far as I know, that's still the way that is. So you want to make sure this stuff needs to get done you know, well ahead of time. So the other kind of joint ownership, tenants in common, which is a fairly common way of setting up a joint ownership when it's a business owner. Or maybe you own real estate for, with someone who's not a spouse. You own some rental property. It's, it's typically held tenants in common, which means you both own your portion, your half, your third, your fourth, whatever it is. You own that portion. So that when you pass on, then your portion is going to go to your estate. It's going to pass by way of your will and your estate documents. If you have it in the name of a living trust, of course, it'll be done. It'll pass on by the directions of the living trust, and and that will uh, avoid the probate process. Versus now beneficiary. So joint ownership, right of survivorship, tenants in common, or a beneficiary designation. So when you have a beneficiary designation, that bypasses the will process altogether. Bypasses probate, bypasses everything. So no matter what you have in your actual documents, even a living trust, if the beneficiary is a named person, if it's a ministry that you're wanting to make contributions to at your death and the beneficiary is that institution, it, no matter who it is, if it's not the estate, if the beneficiary is not the estate, which, which with um, retirement-type funds, Life insurance is not as important because that's not taxable typically anyway. But IRA-type funds, 401k-type funds, those you typically don't want to go to the the will through the, through the estate because of the shortened time that that's going to be taxable. But the more importantly probably is your wishes may not be carried out. So you want to make sure that if your will, your trust has some other kind of language in there that has – Maybe it has the, the children getting their funds over some period of time instead of getting it all at once at your death. Well, if they're the beneficiary of that insurance policy or the beneficiary of that IRA or 401K, they're going to get it right away. There's not going to be any restrictions on that. So if you wanted restrictions, then you have to do something different. And you work out IRA conduit-type trusts, or you can have something else happen to where it just doesn't go to them all at once. And sometimes the best tax way to do this is not the best way for the beneficiary because of the way they may spend the money. It may it may be worth paying more taxes or having more taxes owed if you are um, making sure that they don't get all the money and spend it in, in three weeks and then they're destitute for the rest of their life. And I've had some people say, well, I'm not. that's not my concern. If they blow it, I gave them the chance. I gave them the money. If they blow it, then I'm not going to try to dictate or try to um, say how this, these funds are going to be held for that child or spouse for any length of time, because I did my part. I gave them something to to work on. So those are the big differences, the joint ownership, tenants in common, the beneficiaries. And the one other thing I mentioned before the break here is is making sure that you have money available for your loved ones to pay for your funeral, even if, if you have prepaid your funeral, because we've had situations with my both my uh parents and my in-laws where you had the the funeral and those expenses prepaid but there were still some expenses that did not get paid for uh, so you you want to have either access have the child have access to your funds somehow so that they can 
spend that money to pay for those kind of things, or they have enough resources on their own, you're not worried about it. They can pay it and then get reimbursed by the estate. That's another way to handle those kind of things as well. All right, we get back to the break. We're going to talk about the uh, some of the questions that we've had. Uh, one for Mark that called in, then we couldn't get him on the air last week, so I'll briefly review that question and and, and a couple other questions that we had uh, from last week that came in after the show. And most of those come through Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. That's how you send a question to me. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. Welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. Glad to have you with us today. So we have the information you need without the sales pitch. I like to, that's our, my new tagline, the information you need without the sales pitch. I'd like to, to add without the annoying sales pitch, because that's really, I think, what it is. At least it is when I listen to those other financial planning shows that or podcasts that uh, they're really just trying to sell you something and, and they're never really giving you any information. They just uh, tell you, well, if you call me, I'll be able to answer your questions. Well, let's see if we can answer some questions on the air so you don't have to do that to get the questions you have answered. So I had a couple questions come in this week. Uh, first of all, the, the one question that came in that we couldn't get Mark on the phone. I won't give too many details just because it's a fairly unique situation, but he's got a special needs child, older, and he's finally was able to get the conservatorship for that child. And uh, like I said, single father. And and then the, the question really was he'd been told that he should get a special needs trust. And he was wondering whether or not that was the case. He didn't know for sure what that was, how it worked, what it was for. And so he called because he, he trusted I would give him a, an objective answer. So I was able to talk to him offline and essentially explain to him how a special needs trust worked. And the, the main reason people set up those special needs trusts is you have a, a child who is going to be on some government assistance program. So they can't take care of themselves. They wouldn't qualify for insurance. They're, they're on Medicare, Medicaid. And of course, once the parent is gone or the caregiver is gone, then there's nobody there really to take care of them. They're going to need to be put some in some kind of a nursing home or some kind of facility that somebody else can take care of them if something were to happen to the to the parent uh, before that child passed away, which oftentimes happens because the special needs child has may have a physical difficulty that uh, shortens their lifespan anyway. So the special needs trust is a way to set up some money for the child's benefit but still have some restrictions, enough kind of restrictions put on it so that they, the child still qualifies for Medicaid, Medicare, and so forth. So it's a, it's a very legitimate way, but it's a very specialized trust and not 
every attorney can do it. Matter of fact, I think very few of them will even will even touch it. So uh, we're having a conversation further. Jeremy Weaver in our office has done a lot of work with special needs trusts, special needs children. So uh, he was uh, he may have already spoken to Mark. I know he's going to try to this week and see if we can steer him in the right direction with the right kind of attorney. But there's uh, certainly a lot of things that that uh, need to be considered when you have, especially when you have a special needs trust. And one of the things that's kind of odd when you think about this is you you do your state plan. And let's and this is just a single uh, single child uh, home, but if there are more than one child, and so you do your estate plan because one of the children either has a special needs or there's some other uh, area in their life that's affecting them, and maybe it's because let's say one of them is a missionary, and you want to make sure that you provide them more funds than your other very successful uh, child who's doing something that they're making plenty of money and they don't really want the money, and they want to go there to their other sibling who who would need more resources. But that's the way it is when you first set up the trust or set up the estate plan. What happens if five years later, ten years later, even maybe after you're gone, and the one child who's been uh, living very frugally and had to because their income's lower because they're, let's say, in full-time Christian ministry, but they change, they get out of that, and they start getting a job that makes them more money, and the one who was very successful, something happens to their business, or maybe they get disabled. They something happens to them where they uh, really need the money more than the other. So it's it's uh, it's it pays, I think, to have a lot of flexibility for the trustees and for the personal representatives to be able to figure out where this money should go to. And I think that is important when you're establishing this estate plan, and why it's I think very important to work with. A an advisor, a an advisor as well as a good competent attorney who can ask those kind of questions, where it makes it hard when you're going to do something online, and they don't know enough about your situation. And frankly, when you don't get an estate plan done very often, typically most people need to have it done more often than they do. But when you have it done so infrequently, maybe five most most people are probably ten or fifteen years apart between estate plans. That if you spread the cost of that document preparation and meetings with the attorney over that long period of time. Really not talking about much for an annual cost of having an estate plan. And I think the satisfaction and the comfort level that it's going to be done correctly, I think, is is very, very important. Another question came from Jim. He says, uh, I have three names on the deed. This is, uh, assume, his house, uh, his mother-in-law, and his he and his wife. So if he and his wife were to die first, he asks, would the house go to my mother-in-law as part of her estate? And would it be advisable to take my mother-in-law's name off the deed because she's in her early 90s? And then who can handle this type of transaction? Well, that's the easy part. There's some good um, tax, some good real estate attorneys that we work with that can handle those kind of things. That's that's going to be the fairly easy part. The main thing is the, the main question really is. How do you decide how this is going to handle? So if we have this, typically with real estate, it's own tenants in common. So if you have three people on the deed, more than likely, they each own, let's say, one-third. There's three people on this deed, so they each own one-third. If one of them dies, it's not going to automatically go. So he and his wife die, it's not going to automatically go to his mother-in-law because it's it's the the part that's in their name, if it's tenants in common, is going to go by way of their estate. That may not be the best thing. That may not be what you want. You may want the mother-in-law to own. The mother-in-law may want to own the property at that point because she wants to make sure she has a place to live until she is gone. Another question you have to think of is, 
the the taxes on the gain. So if the mother-in-law dies first, and then the other the he and his wife are still living in the property, as long as they live in there for a couple of years as their own personal residence, and then they sell the property, the law is now that they can avoid up to five hundred thousand of the gain on the house. So the house could be worth a million dollars, but if there's uh, only there's less than five hundred thousand dollars worth of gain, if it's married filing jointly, there's still no tax on that transaction. Another way to avoid that would be to say I'm going to put all the 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 entire property in my mother-in-law's name, so that when she dies, the assuming that the husband the and the daughter get the property from the estate then they're going to get a step up in basis in that, which means they could sell it right away, don't have to worry about living in it for two years because they may or may not want to do that, and avoid the income tax on it because of the step up in basis you get at death for property passed by way of your will. And that's a big part of estate planning. A lot of people think, well, because the exemptions are so high and we're looking at 11-plus million per person, you're having that those kind of um, limita- limits on it. There's not an estate tax issue for most people. But there's still income tax issues, which for most people was probably the bigger uh, issue to deal with anyway when you're talking about during your estate planning is the the income tax issues, not the estate tax issues. So you want to be careful how that is done. So my my questions really, and I have not heard back from Jim yet, but my questions for him back were, okay, what about um, the home? So is it supposed to be for your mother? Is it deed originally for the mother-in-law? Or is it yours? And, and she's just living with you. You know, why is it tenants in common? Is it joint ownership with right of survivorship? So if they would changed it, so all three of them are joint ownership with the right of survivorship, then yes, if they pass away, the mother-in-law is the one who gets it. And then the, when she dies, the assets would go to wherever she wants it. It's not going to go to wherever, to whomever the, the husband and her and the daughter want it to go to. And the the the, the um, daughter of the mother who's living there because it's his mother-in-law get all this stuff straight for you. So you need to know you know why why was it set up that way and what's the ultimate purpose on where it's going to go from here so that you can make sure that it's uh, set up right. Um, so that's the and the step up in basis another issue and the and the living in it for two years so that you make sure you qualify for the the exclusion, the 500,000 exclusion. We're going to talk about that more in, in future uh, podcast radio shows, but that's um, at least that's a, the high-level overview of how of all of that works. So when we get back um, from the break, then we got uh, a question from Wayne, another question from Al, and we'll, we'll address some of those questions too. But, of course, I, I always want to make sure that you understand that if, you have any questions about this topic, maybe you have questions about some other topics that we've talked about in the past, maybe you go to the Talking Money radio website and you listen to a show and you say, I still have a question about that. Well, you can always ask your own financial advisor. You can ask your CPA, your tax attorney, whomever it is that you typically go to see to get that kind of advice. Uh, I believe, however, it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values and biblical worldview. And yours may or may not do that. But if you want more information on how to find that kind of advisor, of course, uh, we're sponsored by Ronald Blue Trust, and there's and I work for Ronald Blue Trust, so there's a lot of advisors there who share would share that value and biblical worldview. We don't work with people just who share that value or biblical worldview. Uh, we don't to discriminate. Work we work with anybody, but it, we think it's important for someone who who has those beliefs to to work with an advisor who shares those beliefs. So you can always call me at Mike Miller eight hundred. 
888-PLAN. So that's 800-588-7526. I always hate it when somebody gives the, the word, and then you got to go to the word and say, okay, where's the P, where's the L, where's the A, where's the N? So it's 7526 stands for plan. So 800-588-7526. Or you can send me an email. I won't answer that email uh, right away, but for a future show, at Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll be back with more of Talking Money in just a minute. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, Director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan, a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for this week, as every week from 10 to 11. If you're listening on a podcast, of course, you're maybe getting the shortened version or you are listening to the whole show, but you're not, uh, of course, have the opportunity to send me a question in live. You send me a question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. If you are listening live today, I'd love to hear from you, 877-235-9405, 877-235-9405, either text or give me a phone call. I'd love to have you call in. We're talking about estate planning issues, which there's generally a lot of questions out there about estate planning. We had a lot of questions that came in after the show last week and trying to answer those. Some of the questions I don't bring back up on the air. I just answer them, and and I just don't bring them up for various reasons. And But uh, I like to share some of these because the questions are, are generally pertinent to what other people are doing, and we can try to use those questions as a, as a way of teaching, we'll say a teaching moment. But 877-235-9405 if you want to text or call me here while I'm at the studio. Love to hear from you. So this uh, question came from Wayne. He says, I'm ready to make a new will, which I will do myself following the format of the one the lawyer did for me in 2004. I'm planning to leave a good portion of my estate to a particular mission board unless I have a better, more fruitful suggestion. He says, I have an IRA currently worth about 50000 whose beneficiary is my estate. So unless the estate is drained by many years of nursing home, my request to the mission board will be much larger than than 50000 I want to say in my new will that this bequest is to be paid first from the IRA by transferring it to the mission board, and the balance will equal a certain percentage of the total estate. 
He says, is this satisfactory? His question is, I'm figuring that, I figure my bequest by percent of the residue after specific other bequests and to make the mission board the beneficiary will distort that. Uh, my annuities and life insurance policies also have the estate as the beneficiary. The more recent annuities I have purchased operate like a bank CD, a five to seven year maturity with uh, interest paid annually to me, just a 1099 R instead of a 1099 interest. All right, so several things in this. So I followed up with a question to him. Uh, first was as far as the I, I commended him for wanting to support the mission boards. I think that's that's important if you're supporting missions. Of course, we want to encourage our clients and listeners to support them, those ministries now, and not wait till just you die, because these ministries, of course, need the money now, especially in light of all the virus we've had situation over the last several months. And the contributions are down with many organizations they still need to, to to operate. So I use Miracle Hill as an example. Of course, I'm on the board, so full disclosure. But Miracle Hill, who still needs to feed the homeless, they still need to shelter the homeless, they still need to have the power bill, they still have to pay the staff that's there. Uh, this That money does not come out of thin air. It still is come from contributions. There's not government money there to do that for them. There's some help on the foster care side, but not for everything else that they do. It's all done by contributions and, and of course, receipts that they get or profits that they can make from the thrift stores that they operate. And those had to shut down for a while and back and back opened up now. But that's a way to for you, for anybody really, to be able to support that this kind of ministry that is helping support those who can't support themselves, those people who who say, yes, we want to help people. And sometimes they say, well, I'm going to help this child that's over in in Bangladesh or wherever it is, say, well, what about the people that are right here? So you, you want to not ignore the ones that need help right here in order to help someone that's in overseas. You can do both. That's great. But let's not forget the ones that in your backyard that you, I think you need to help take care of. So a lot of places that you give. So I commend him for doing that. And then the, the, the other parts of that question, which as far as the IRA, so he says he's got this IRA 50,000, but he wants to give more than that. Current beneficiary is the estate. So you don't want to have, you don't want to have the beneficiary of the estate. And then the estate say, give that $50,000 to this mission board. You want to go ahead and name the mission board as the beneficiary. And if you're married, you might say, well, I want to have my spouse as the primary beneficiary. And then the mission board uh, or whatever the ministry is, your church, whatever, as the contingent beneficiary. But you want to have it named because when they get the assets, because they are a tax-free organization, they don't have to pay taxes on that money that they get. And if it's a situation where you do have children and you say, well, I'm going to have my children as a beneficiary, and then in your will you state certain organizations are going to get your money, that's not the most tax-efficient way to do it. And it's also not the easiest way to make a change, the least expensive way especially, to make a change if you decide you want to move around the percentages or change which organizations you're going to give it to, then having them as a named beneficiary on the IRAs, 401Ks, that kind of thing, then allows them to get it tax-free. It frees up more money than it's in your regular state that's going to be available for the kids to get it that they won't have to pay taxes on. If you give their, if you give the IRA money to them and then give the ministry money that's not going to be taxable to the kids anyway, give them out of your regular will, then that's, there again, you're, you're hurting the children because, and you're not helping the, the organization anymore because they're fine getting the IRAs because they're not going to have to pay any taxes on that. 
So he also has, he's, he mentioned he has a uh, annuity, a uh, couple of annuities, and those also are paid to his estate. So so the first thing I would want to know is can we change, can he change the beneficiaries on the annuities and change them as well to the uh, mission board? Because same thing, that if it's a, even if it's a, a non-qualified annuity, which means part of the money is your original principal, part of it is your gain in the account. If he's taken out of the gain, that doesn't matter. It's 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 going to be six one half dozen another because there's no there's not a taxable event. If it's in an IRA, it's the same as an IRA. An annuity in an IRA can be the same thing. No step in basis. I want to get the the beneficiary to be a ministry that I'm going to support and not have it go to the estate first. That's just not the most tax efficient way for that to happen. So then, it, then when you're trying to figure out, I'm not the attorney, so I'm not going to give him legal advice, but the concept is fine. You just have to be careful how you draft it. He's going to draft this himself. So I'm already cautioned about, and he knows I'm cautioning about getting that done yourself, but he'll, I think he'll be careful. But anyway, you want to be careful that it's set up right. I like the idea that he's using percentages. I've seen too many estate plans where they give specific dollar amounts to specific people or to, to specific organizations. And the problem with that is, Let's say you uh, your state gets uh, drawn down for whatever reason. The market's down. You live longer. You had more expenses, whatever it is. And there's not as much in your state as you anticipated there was going to be when you died. But a larger percentage is now going to go to some of these ministries because you named a specific dollar amount. Or you might have named a specific dollar amount to a loved one, a, a niece, a nephew, a child or some individual that's not even related to you, you may have given them a specific bequest. If you give a specific dollar amount, then you, you want to make sure that there's enough in the estate that takes care of the other other beneficiaries that you want to take care of. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You just want to make sure that you're careful and, and you're watching things, watching the estate to make sure you don't run into a problem where the the ministries and the other people that you're giving specific bequests to end up getting all the estate because the estate has gone down that much. Now, that maybe not as likely, but it's still something you need to consider. But having a percentage of the total and saying, okay, I'm going to give um, the, whatever the amount was in my IRA, identify the IRA, and and the rest of the estate, I want to make sure that the balance in the IRA and whatever is in my estate, that the total equals you know 10% of my total estate. And so you could do that, and I think the, the the personal representative that's going to take care of that for you should be able to set that up fine and and by, abide by your wishes. So that was an interesting situation. We'll have some more conversations um, with Wayne probably by email. But uh, there again, that's a it's a good way to get your questions to me is that you uh, send it to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com and send and submit your questions and I'll get them either answer them right then or we'll answer them on a future uh, podcast radio show here at uh, Talking Money. And as I said before, as we wrap up this segment and we've got a text we'll get uh, later uh, after the break. But if you have questions, you can always call your own financial advisor, your tax attorney, your CPA, whatever kind of counselor that you typically ask these kind of questions to. But I do believe, however, it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values and biblical worldview. So if that's that fits you, then you want to call me. So this is Mike Miller, of course, 800-588-PLAN. 800-588-7526 is the phone number to me. And so we, we serve 
uh, clients really all over the United States, uh, but specifically in the Carolinas and Georgia. So we can we can find I can find and and put you together with an advisor I think that's going to be a great fit for you and I'll be involved as much as I need to. Send me an email also if you got a question like that. Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. It can be a question for for me to answer at a future uh, broadcast or you just have a uh, a question you want to talk more about how uh, how to find an advisor that shares your values and biblical worldview. We're all for that too. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or one 800 5887526 that's 1-800-588-7526 now back to talking money and we're in the home stretch here of talking money so glad you're with us uh, last chance to get in a question 8772359405 so one more question backing up from last week from Al he says, my mother-in-law is in her 80s, and she has a couple of annuities. She, he says, they're equity-based, and he says, I don't pretend to understand all those details. With a total value of less than $100,000, they are paying her some income, but when considering her Social Security, she is still not in a taxable position. She could earn another 6000 annually and still not pay taxes. Would it make sense to go ahead and take withdrawals, which would be tax-free in her current situation, and thus remove it from a taxable retirement account, which would otherwise be taxed to beneficiaries in the future. So he's, he's answering part of his question already. If she did, uh, if she did, where would she put those funds to get a similar return on her money? Is there an annuity product outside of her IRA that she could move it to, or just invest in another investment account that has lower risk but still good returns? And so are you familiar with the? He mentioned a particular fund which I wasn't familiar with. Uh, said although there's there's minimums there, she probably wouldn't meet on that anyway. Okay, so the the couple issues here. So you got a situation similar to my parents back uh, years ago when they were still living, and this goes back probably 15 years ago when when I started the the process with my parents. Is she's in a situation where she can take out money from um, a taxable account and not pay taxes because her income is is so low. So she could get another six thousand dollars and still not pay taxes. And she could also take out more than that and pay minimum taxes. Maybe she just paid 10%. So when you're thinking of her paying the tax at zero or 10% versus waiting till she passes away and then the money passes on to the, the children, the loved ones, and if they're in a higher tax bracket, they're going to pay more than that in their own, uh, at their own tax bracket. So it's, it makes sense to, yes, to get that out of the money and especially get it tax free. Unless the annuity is one that happens to be one of those, he says it's equity-based. So um, one of the questions I asked back to Al was, 
is what's the uh, guarantee? What is 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 this a uh, an annuity that has a certain uh, level of interest that's paying that's high? So we've got some clients that we helped buy an annuity for back in the '90s and late '80s, '90s, and they they still hold those annuities. We've had prospective clients and new clients come in that we said you're going to hold this annuity because it's a fixed account. It's paying four or five percent guaranteed. Well, we're not going to get rid of those because that's that's the great interest rate, especially in this interest rate environment that we're in right now. So, uh, if you take the money out though and say, okay, yes, I saved the taxes, I didn't have to pay taxes on that, which which benefits the children more than her because she's already not paying taxes and probably never will pay taxes. But if she has to put it into an investment that doesn't have that same 4% guarantee, then she's hurting herself. And so you want to be careful what is more beneficial. Is it paying, taking the money out tax-free or is it leaving it in there so that she can get that higher benefit? My guess is because it's an equity-based annuity, it probably is not paying a real high guarantee. So it's we'd have to put it in something else. And there are certainly some other, so there are places that we can potentially put the money that give her a nice safe return, um, but in this day and age, with interest rates as low as they are, it's it's tougher to get interest rates that are high enough to satisfy most people because interest rates just aren't there. Um, but there are some some places you can get into some short term bonds. Uh, you can get into some some longer term uh, money market type instruments. Um, we have access to some some that, uh, especially for those who have larger balances, that can get us a higher rate of return and than most money markets, but still maintain insurance up to $2 million. We've got access to some of that as advisors that, that we uh, like to work with for certain clients. But those are the larger clients, and this is not a larger client by any means. So my first questions to, to Al were, okay, let's let's get a copy of the statements from the the insurance companies so I can see exactly what they are paying. And once I know what they are paying, then we can make some decision on that. Another question would be, well, maybe she's planning on giving this money away. And if she's, if she wants to give money to a ministry at her death, then this, this fund, these IRAs, uh, these annuities could be great ways to do that because like I mentioned in the earlier question that you can give that money to the ministry and they don't pay taxes because they're a tax exempt organization and the rest of the funds then can go to your other loved ones who don't have to worry about paying taxes on those annuities or or, uh, IRAs Uh, they get more money left over in the regular account so that's that's go that's that's a good way to to look at all that so um, once we get those uh, statements we'll take a look at it and see if we've got some other kind of uh, option that we can give to uh, to her to him for her. Uh question that came in on um, the text line, I've heard always heard about Medicare, Medicaid taking real estate if cost of care for your parents was extremely high. Something about a relative must own the property five years prior without paying Medicare, Medicaid back. Can you elaborate on this? So quick answer to that in the few minutes we have left is that, uh, yes, there's a five-year look-back rule. So people would have to get, a person has to get an asset out of their name and leave it out of their name. There's trust that can set that up. But you leave it out of your name for five years, and then you apply for Medicare and Medicaid, and they don't come back and get you. If if you don't do that and your house, they're not going to take somebody's house uh, to, as consideration when you qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, but they're certainly going to, after that person dies, they have the right to come back and sell that house to get repaid. 
So the house has got to be included as one of those considerations as well. So anyway, that's the quick answer to that. If you've got more questions about that, we we have to give you. But hopefully that is enough of an answer for you. Uh, let's go quickly. We've got uh, a few minutes left on the on the program today. Let's go to Denise, who's calling us from uh, from Greenville. Good morning. Welcome to talking money. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing very well. You doing okay? Yes, wonderful. Good. good. I'm trying to see how does one get an affordable will or trust. Um, I have my son and my nephew. So how does one get a will because I'm on a fixed income? And um, what do you recommend? Uh, do you recommend a trust, a will, a vocal trust? Okay, well, great question, Denise, and it's hard to know without knowing your, more of your situation. We recommend revocable trust a lot. And we, uh, but it depends on what you're trying to do with that trust. And, and a lot of times people use the living trust, the revocable trust, as a means just to avoid probate and, and have better control even if somebody's disabled that they can. So if there's a concern with disability, then yes, there may be a concern there and you want to, to get a living trust. Now there, there are some, some no, good attorneys. Me, they, I'm sorry. Pardon me? It's, the thing, it's for me, uh, I'm on disability. Okay. Now, and I have a nephew and a son that I would believe my. So now, how what how do I get an affordable? And which one do you recommend? Yeah. Trust. Well, probably in in your case, unless unless you have uh, want to have some kind of restrictions on the uh, the assets that are going to your, I think you said nephew and son. Unless there's some restrictions, then you don't need a trust. You just need to leave it outright to them. And one of the easiest ways to do that without a will, if you just don't mind it going right to them, and assume there's no spouse in the picture here, Denise, you would say, oh. okay, whatever property you have, if, if it's a home or if it's a, uh, let's say a bank account, a stock account, whatever it is, you can, you can do a, um, payable on death beneficiary designation on those accounts. So if, if it's the house, you would simply name them as a joint owner on the account so that if, when you pass, it's going to automatically go to them. And then and an attorney would have to set that up for you. And there's the real estate attorneys. We can get you some names of some of those real estate attorneys. And that's usually a few hundred bucks. Uh, and then the other assets, it wouldn't cost anything. So you could say, all right, I, I definitely want it to go to my nephew and to my son. So I'm going to take the bank account and I'm going to do a, a payable on death document. That's it's like a beneficiary on your IRA. And you name them the beneficiary. You could name even the, let's say, the son as primary and the nephew as the secondary beneficiary. And, and that would take care of that without a will. And, and then if there's uh, life insurance, of course, you name the beneficiaries uh, of the life insurance policy to them as well. And that would save you the cost of doing a will. I hate to tell people not to get a will, so I think you need to have a basic will just to cover anything that may, that may happen. And, uh, I think there may even be, I have not checked recently, but I think there are some places that even would do it for somebody on fixed income. Probably somewhere through the Senior Action Center. If you went through the Senior Action Center, they could give you some recommendations on where some attorneys are that could uh, could could draft a simple will for you, and it, for maybe next to nothing, or at least not cost much for you. But you might even think about some of those other ways to disperse the assets that uh, wouldn't even need a will, because you can do joint ownership and what we call a payable on death or a transfer on death account. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Have Thank a nice day. You. Thanks for the call, Denise. And yeah, you have a great Thank weekend. You. Okay. So we've got uh, just about a minute uh, left in the show today. So we just always, of course, thank you for listening. If you have questions that you want to continue to ask me after this live show is over, 
Or if you're done listening to the podcast, you can go to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is where you can submit a questions. And as I've said several times, if you have other questions, you can go to see your own financial advisor. Ask them about these questions. If they can't answer them, you get back to me. If it's a CPA, tax attorney, uh, I, I really feel strongly about you working with an advisor who has your same values, same biblical worldview, if, if that's you, if that's what you hold. So for more information about that, just give me a call. It's Mike Miller at 800-588-PLAN. That's 800 800- Five eight eight seven five two six, or as I said before, you can always send an email to Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com, and go to the Facebook at talkingmoneyradio.talkingmoneyradio Facebook page and like us there and follow that. We'd love to have you uh, also get more up to date information even through the Facebook. Well, thanks for listening today. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week with more Talking Money. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.